And that sound you just heard was the intro of Respawn Aim Fire. Welcome everybody to our very first episode. 50th episode of our show. First yeah. episode of our rebrand, Respawn Aim Fire. <laughs> first I'm Chad Michael Linus. And the 50th episode of our show. We're first and everywhere 50th. At once. Every week we're going to say 51st and 2nd. We've broken the space-time continuum. Space-time's fucking Very fragile as shit. I'm, I'm Chad Michael Linus, so that's Holden DePardo. <laughs> we just said our name at the same time. But it's okay. It works out. Yeah. We have a lot of really exciting stuff for you. You're now going to experience everything. If you're listening to us on a podcast service like Overcast or anything that supports um, chapters, look down at your phone. Take a look at the artwork throughout. Mm -hmm. I'll maybe post one or two sneak peeks on our Instagram throughout the week. Everyone else kind of gets an idea of it. Oh, man. Holden, how do we normally start these things? So we normally start with something called Playtime, where we talk about what we've been playing in the past week however we've been playing our game of the month primarily this week so we're just gonna jump right into our game of the whoa, month whoa, this whoa, time. whoa 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 we're no longer Why a stupid gaming chat? podcast we're respawning fire we've stepped it up we're more professional we don't want some stupid generic name like game of the month that's for lame pussies or something lame like that. pussies no <laughs> we want backlog accomplishments with respawning friends boom that's a little long chad it's a little long. Do you think we can like make it more like straightforward? Just barf. Back up. Barf. 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 We are more professional nowadays. <laughs> all right, guys. So barf for the month of February. This is our game that all of us kind of come together as a community, check off our backlog of things that we are so embarrassed about, and make the world a little bit better place. We played The Surge. The Surge is a game from Deck 13. came out in May of 2017. They are the creators of Lords of the Fallen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and one it of those Souls-like games. Exactly. It's been kind of described as a Dark Souls in sci-fi. Which is exciting. Um, I think I texted you a while ago basically said that it's definitely a Souls-like game, but it has its own identity beyond just being something that's like Dark Souls. It has the same setup of one-on-one combat with enemies. Sometimes you get multiples and it makes it more challenging. But it's kind of like the dodging, blocking. Right. And then you have like a central area you kind of go back to to refresh your health, level up. And you have to find shortcuts back to that area. So it kind of has a lot of those same kind of key pieces of the formula Dark Souls has. So I think it does a really good job of being its own thing. And I think in some respects Dark Souls does things better and in some ways this game i think does things better than dark souls so i liked it a lot yeah i really enjoyed this game me too um i liked it chad beat it i did not beat it oh yeah let's talk about that so yes i beat the game last night i man i i made sure that i was gonna finish this game and i played it straight through the weekend i played it last night for a few hours took me finally 29 hours in order to beat the game it's actually a lot shorter than i would have thought the well you know i always check that howlongtobeat.com and it said around mm-hmm. 20 hours for this game for just main story and like 27 really? for main story and extras but the way i play these games we'll get into this in a little bit but the way i play these games yeah. i definitely fall into that main story plus extras category and how far did you get so there are a total of five bosses in the game yep i beat the third one i'm just like before the, the final or the fourth boss right now and it seems like once you beat the fourth boss, it's a pretty short journey to the final one. Uh, kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. So I was pretty close to the ending of the game. 
So for any of you who didn't play this, we are going to go into spoilers about this game. Mm-hmm. I will be spoiled on things. Yes, Chad doesn't you care will be about spoiled me. on things. I, let's talk real quick about the kind of the background and the story of the game. So you wake up. Go you for this it. Guy I don't. Named, I don't really. I didn't pay attention to the story at all. I'm this like is pure the pure gameplay on this the one. The biggest criticism of the game, and you know, Dark Souls and Demon Souls that. and Bloodborne, they all have their their kind of story. deep lore, and you can read yeah. the item description. Quotation story, yeah. exactly. But it's something that you have to dive deep into item descriptions and shit like that, and watch hour long YouTube mm-hmm. videos explaining what it is you just looked at. And the surge is no different. You gather all of your story from. Yeah. Uh, environmental more, storytelling it i would say it is more I'm, in your face is in the right term because it's not in your face at all right. but it's definitely more present than dark souls right is in terms of its story you might walk into a room and there's a video screen of the guy talking to you kind of laying out the world right and audio you, you'll never get that in dark souls there's never like some man chanting when you walk into a castle right to right. the story and there are, like there are audio logs as well that explain most yeah. of the story. That's where you're going to get it from. But even then, there are some parts that are like left unanswered or things you're uncertain about. But mm-hmm. essentially, you start out as Warren, which is a guy who's getting a, a job at Creo. The world has gone to shit. We've depleted all of our natural resources, overpopulation. In a post-apocalyptic story? I know, no. right? That doesn't happen. That's original. So this company with billions of dollars named Creo comes up with a solution to repair the ozone layer using this uh, product called Resolve. Resolve, they shoot up a bunch of rockets, it shoots out this chemical, helps to repair the ozone layer, turns out that there's a side effect that it's also super toxic. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like an oxymoron. Like, we're going to save the ozone layer by firing rockets into the sky. (laughs) One of probably the major causes of ozone depletion or whatever you want to call it. Holes in the ozone layer. So That's really funny. There's this toxic shit all over the ground now, and in the air, it's killing people. This big company is like, oh, shit, what have we done? And they're struggling, and they're saying, all right. A, a guy comes forward and says, all right, I think I can fix it. I can make up something better than Resolve for less money and quicker. And Creo is obviously like, great, sure, that's awesome. So the scientist uh, decides instead of going the chemical route to repair the ozone, he's actually going to do it all with nanites and nanomachines. And that's what he tells Creo. But in reality, he's actually trying to do his own little experiments where he integrates nanomachines and nanites with human beings and tries to mesh them together into these androids. How does he, like, at a corporation swing that? Like, hey, you're less focused on the sky and more focused on that dude in the chair. <laughs> What's well, the guy at the, the chair doing? He's it? making these nanites and these nanomachines, and then he's secretly pulling in, like, homeless people or taking people off the street. And testing it on them. And they're just like oh. secretly doing this in his lab. And you can see the nanites eating their skin from within and slowly transform, transforming them into an android. And then eventually... Which are the enemies you fight in the game. In that fourth area. That's right. And resolve mm-hmm. biolabs. So anyway, all of this happens. And one day, you, Warren, are going into Creo to get a job. Creo is making billions of jobs with all of this technology. And everyone billions? gets retrofitted... With, yeah, billions yes. of jobs. There's seven, eight hundred, eight billion people, not hundred billion, eight billion people in the world. Eight hundred billion people on the planet. That's billions of jobs, man. <laughs> Everybody who's there gets a little cool exosuit to help them do their jobs, whether it's from like construction to clean up and things like that. Mm-hmm. You get retrofitted, or you get fitted with your construction suit, but the anesthesia doesn't work, and you feel it all, and then suddenly blackout. Yeah, so that's actually a really cool moment in the game, is it starts with you, you're sitting on the train, and... You're kind of there's a video playing explaining kind of like we're Creo da 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 
He's kind of explaining what the company does. And then when you get to get the train, you go to walk forward and you roll. You're in a wheelchair. Yeah. That was a pretty surprising moment. It was pretty cool. So you're kind of just wheeling around to get to where they put the suit on you. And you basically can now walk for the first time almost. It was, yeah. that, was, that was kind of a cool moment. I didn't expect that coming. It was a nice little like first moment twist in the story. Yeah. So blackout happens in the middle of your operation. You wake up and find out that that blackout was an electromagnetic pulse, and that was the surge. Oh, get it? That's the name of the game. Is that the name of the game? The what surge. Game do we play? The surge happens. Anyone with like nanomachines or or like implants in their brains, they all kind of blacked out for a second, and that allowed these nanites that the scientist was developing to get inside people. And start to take over their mind and take over their thoughts because it started to develop this artificial intelligence that's now starting to get a mind of its own. So everyone starts freaking the fuck out, going crazy, becomes these weird monsters versions of themselves. Everyone has these exosuits, which now become your enemies, and that's why they're super strong and and uh, are able to kill you, basically, in just a few hits. And you wake up and you're like, what the fuck's going on? This AI woman, Sally pops up you don't know she's an ai at the time but she pops up on this little projector and she's like i need your you help spoiled that for me form. chad i didn't know that yet hey you had a month <laughs> <laughs> she says hey help us get to the executive boardroom i need your help to free me help us make this thing to stop utopia utopia is the name of the nanite thing mm-hmm. that's trying to save it with nanites instead of uh chemicals and then uh finally you progress through the game through a bunch of obstacles you get to the end, and the nanites have started to form this different matter, and it's uh, all this crazy-ass alien weird shit, like purple crystals, and they no longer resemble human form at all. They are these giant, weird masses of enemies. Do you fight them? You do, yes. That last That's area cool. is is through that, and the final boss is a giant... Uh, I forget, uh, shit, I wish I remember the name of the final boss. Anyway. Um, Ganon? Ganon, yes. Bowser. You make your way up there. The AI is trying to launch this thing in it, but Sally, or sorry, the, was it scientist, the scientist who created Resolve, who didn't know it was going to be toxic, actually made an antivirus to the Utopia Project. So you're going in there. You're trying to was put it Atlas. It was Atlas shrugged. You're trying to inject <laughs> this antivirus into the missile. It's going to shoot. That sounds up. like Atlas and Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to. It was Atlas and Bioshock. Thank kill you, the Jeff. virus. Stop the nanites from doing whatever. But at the end of the game, spoiler alert, you kill the final boss, but that virus still exists what? in Creo. So you still have that going on in Creo itself, and you're still there what? trying to fucking survive. So that is a little bit of the convoluted story. That was a lot of the story. That was a lot of the story, yeah. <laughs> as what I so, understand from it. So um, just to be clear on this, I didn't get any of that. Not you talking, <laughs> but like... In the game, I didn't care. I just went through the game and just played the game. I really didn't. I, I got the audio logs. Right, you picked them I up. But I didn't really listen to them. It's like hard they to listen playing. to them whenever you're also trying to not die at the same time. Yeah, that's always that's the case in every game, but especially yeah. this one because it's very moment to moment. Right. So you can play this game and just not really pay attention to that story at all, but it definitely has more of a story than Dark Souls does by a big measure, Yeah. I would say. I feel bad comparing this to Dark Souls. I'm not going to do that for the well, time it, being. It, I but mean, we it's, will come it's back a very to apt comparison. It is, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um so I think it's an unfair criticism, though, to say that the story wasn't that great in this game. It's entirely not the point yeah. of the game, I feel. 
Like I feel like every like the the world and the atmosphere and all that are it's are kind of on its own. You don't need the story to understand the world itself. You get immediately like okay, I'm in this company, I'm at the facility of that company and shit's gone wrong. That's all that you really need to know. Yep. It just is it's just that simple context. But it's cool that it's telling a story because it kind of plays and it evolves the Souls like franchise a step further. Sure. I know Neo had a much more involved story, but I haven't played Neo yet. But I would say of these Souls like games that I've played that are not Dark Souls. Yeah. Which is basically only Lords of the Fallen, which is also made by Deck 13. This is hands down the best one. Yeah, it's absolutely. really, really solid. So I want to jump in and talk about the gameplay, like kind of yes, the moment to moment, because it's so good. And this is one of my favorite things about it is this game is all gameplay. Yeah, that's, that's it's all gameplay. That's yeah. all you play this game for. But even just like the, but the combat though is it's really interesting. You're not just swinging your sword at random. You choose what part of the body that you want to attack, and you can kind of tell based on how it's highlighted. So if it's if you highlight their head and it's and it's orange, that means there's armor there. Now you might want that armor, so if you attack there and use a finishing move, you'll kind of collect pieces of that armor. So eventually, you can make a helmet that looks just like that helmet, or same with like the arms or the um, or the uh, the weapon that they use. But you can also see if it's blue. Like, if you have the head and it's blue, there's no armor there. So now it might be easier to kill that enemy. So it's kind of this sh- this this kind of, you know, risk-reward you have to take of, okay, it'll take longer to kill the enemy if I go for his armored um, left arm. But if I go for his head, I get him out of the way right now. If there's a bunch of enemies around you, then you definitely want to go for whatever is not covered in armor just so you right. can survive. So there's a really cool element there that I've not really seen done in a game, it's kind of actually... I'm going to make some, a lot of comparisons to Fallout in this. That kind of reminds me of the VAT system in Fallout, where right. you get to shoot someone, and you can choose a part of the body to hit. In this case, though, it's always guaranteed you're going to hit that part of the body. I loved that gameplay element. That was really, really unique and very cool. It played out very well. I did find it especially hard sometimes to target the body. Oh, yeah. Very, easy to target a head a left arm a right arm or their legs but getting to the body always seemed to be tough i always found i would just eventually if i wanted the body i would just rotate my thumbstick in a circle and i knew that some point at that circle would be the body so just stop wherever that ended up being highlighted but you're right yeah most of the time it was down but sometimes it wasn't yeah so it kind of depends i guess on the angle you're facing the enemy at but it was never convoluted enough that it deterred yeah it was it was fine i think what Um, i love so much about that system And where I think this has the biggest edge over Dark Souls and Bloodborne is that it encourages difficulty. It encourages you to take the more difficult route more so than anything else. Dark Souls is definitely more of, okay, how can I cheat this a little bit to get what I need to happen? Can I run by these enemies? How do I kill them the quickest that I can? But this one, that armor and weapon system, it encourages you. You see a new type of enemy and you're like, shit, I could hit the blue part, but also I want that weapon. Or that's mm-hmm. a better helmet than I have. That's a better leg piece. And in order to get that, I have to go after that protected part. Yeah, and so it, you, it can't. it's not just once. It's like, oh, once you do the one time, then you have that leg piece and you're good. No, it's like you might have to right. get it many, many times before you actually can salvage those components. Right. So it, it, it encourages you to take the hard route mm-hmm. uh, in that way to get your armor and weapons. It also encourages you to seek, like, actively seek out the really tough enemies. Yeah. In, in particular, I can remember, like, in the last area, 
you have these chrysalis monsters that are these giant purple nanite things. And then you have your kind of android type things that you had fought in the mm-hmm. fourth area. And there were often times when I was like avoiding the android things so I could go fight the super tough chrysalis guys because I knew that their armor held the key to getting me my stronger shit. So I'm yeah. like over and over I'm farming those really, really tough guys. I did find that there's a set of armor in a second level called Rhino, the Rhino armor. Yeah. And that's worked out so well for me that I never bothered to get any other armor outside of that. I definitely took some some I found Rhino was good, but I was running low on endurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of figured out how to get around that. And yeah. It just kind of ended up working out for me. One thing that I did but. get pretty early on, about halfway through the game, there are these what seem to be really, really hard enemies. The smelting machines, the giant, like, trash-looking machines with spitfire. Oh, yeah. And there's, uh, like, not one in every level because some level there are two. But there are five total. And if you defeat each one of those, you get a shining coin. If you get all five shining coins... There's a vending machine for Iron Mouse, which is this character that pops up all over the game in comic books, posters, vending machines. And uh, so I, I beat oh, all of those. Oh, that's what those are for. Okay. Yeah, I beat all of those, go to the vending machine where everybody, all the enemies were praying to it. Mm-hmm. And then that vending machine opens up and there's Iron Mouse armor. And the Iron Mouse Very armor, cool. we haven't talked about this yet, but the Iron Mouse armor uh, requires zero core power for every piece. And it is, it's kind of like in that medium to heavy that's, range. That's so cheap. <laughs> well, it's, it's in that medium to heavy range where uh, you're, it, you decrease your impact a little bit and your stability a little bit, but it still has pretty high defense. And, okay. it, do, and it also like cuts your drone attacks by 50% energy. Um, I have used my drone a grand total of one time to see what it does oh, and man. never again. I used Never it. Never again. That drone added so much more capability than once I re- like realized you could use it, and then also that you could bank, especially in the end. Once you get to like the, you haven't been to the executive forum yet, right? No. So you still you still have technically two areas to go through, the executive forum and then the nucleus. Okay. okay. But once you get to the executive forum, things start getting really hard, and you you you're like, I need to bank this this concussion one so it can knock that enemy down so that I can defeat it better. But especially that fourth boss in the research and development, that was probably my hardest. That was my, the boss that I almost gave up on. And I almost said, how close am I to the end of the game? Should I just watch a YouTube video? Uh, so I would like, I would bank the flamethrower and I would just have that ready to go at the beginning of the fight, immediately flamethrower him as I gain energy through it, flamethrower him again, because that one was so fucking hard. Yeah, it's kind of so you have to beat him twice, basically. Oh, you have to beat him a lot of times. Depending on how fast you beat him, you might have to beat multiple bosses as well. Oh, shit. Yeah, that one. So let's talk about the bosses. So I've done three Overall, of them Overall, you've so done the, yeah. uh, the one at the beginning. It's kind of like a, almost no, like a Metal Gear one. Rex. I skipped that one. Type thing. There's the, uh, the fire bug, which is like the I spinning one. I skipped that fire. one, too. Okay. I don't okay. want to do that one. Uh, you've done the... What was the next one? Oh, the big sister one. I didn't do any of the bosses. I just walked past them. Man, you're really good at this game. I'm really good at it, yeah. You would have thought you would have beat it. (laughs) No, so I I beat those three bosses. The first boss is a little bit more simplistic, but two and three are much more complicated. Yeah. When you're you're fighting them. And they all have multiple phases to them, which is something that I liked. Yeah. They, They do have extremely recognizable patterns. Right. Minus the big sister. I thought she was a little bit harder. 
when it came to the kind of the middle section. Let's talk about that one. I just actually just did that one today. Um, so it starts off and you kind of jump on this platform and then these two mechanical claws. It almost looks like you're on like an assembly line for a product being made. Yeah. Is what it seems like. And the claw will kind of come down and launch at you. And you have to jump out of the way, hit the claw. That part's really easy. Then the middle section is where it just kind of went all chaotic. And you just have these torch arms that are kind of, I guess, like welding arms from the assembly line. And they just seem to move wherever the hell they want to. I found it's best to kind of stay along the wall and kind of close to one of them. That way you don't have four of them going at you at once. But that felt really chaotic. That was the only time where I didn't feel like there was a discernible pattern. And it was just like, look around, dodge as quickly as you can. Yep. But every other boss had very clear patterns. They didn't make them easy, but it made it so that you learned every single time you fought one. And you kind of knew exactly, okay, I died because he does this move. And if I do X, then I'll avoid his his move. And they did a really good job with that. Yep. I didn't find any of the bosses particularly tricky outside of a few moves that some of them have that are really obnoxious and how much they can damage you or, or and how difficult they can be to dodge sometimes but they were still really good bosses overall from what i played i enjoyed them yeah they were i think the boss designs themselves i guess since they were just giant robots yeah, i didn't feel attached to them or that they were super memorable at all they were interesting boss fights at the time like mm-hmm. I, I was learning their move sets and things like that was interesting but i feel like they were just like all kind of blended in because they're just giant hunks of machines yeah all of them yeah <clears throat> i think the first boss is the least memorable because like you said he just looks like a metal gear yeah and i don't play metal gear and even i thought that speaking of the first boss mm-hmm. the i guess technically there's like a third and a half boss that's one of those androids that is like in the middle of being changed into a human so he's like half android half human and bloody and shit like that but the one after him at the end of um, the Resolve Biolabs is – no, not Resolve Biolabs, Research and Development – is a security officer. And the security officer has this giant scythe, and you're fighting him, and he's fast as shit, and he's so strong. And you're dealing damage, and after you deal damage to maybe about a fifth of his health bar, he runs behind a locked door, and the first boss of the game comes out. And you have to beat the first boss again. Oh, do and you? then after I, you beat I, the I first boss – the fourth boss comes back out. He's regained some of his health. You have to knock it down. After a short time, he goes behind the door. Another of the first boss comes out. <laughs> so the more damage you do to the fourth boss, the fewer of the first one you have to fight. I ended up, by the time I beat him, I ended up fighting him and beating the first boss Is three it a times. harder version of the first boss? It is exactly the first boss. So it could, it's probably really quick to beat him then. Because at this point, you've leveled up your weapons. Right. But then okay, it comes so it about. Should... It comes about. Well, it's he has more health. He's he scales with you, but he has no new move sets or anything like that. Okay, so he is gonna have more health and all that, right? Okay, so it's, That's kind it's of managing those injectables. But yeah. the that guy is just so freaking fast. Mm-hmm. The, the actual fourth bosses. So that one I spent so long on. And in fact, that's the one where I got the trophy where it's like go into a boss battle with fifty thousand tech scrap, and it was like nothing left to lose. Is the name of it? It's because I just kept dying. And then I run into the battle, pick up my tech scrap, die again, <laughs> and I did that. That's probably impressive because I don't think I've had fifty thousand tech scraps to begin with. Tech scraps is the the souls of this game, right? Yeah, your currency. Points. Yeah, yeah. But when you finally do beat those things, 
that feeling is just like a Souls game. It's so fucking great. Yeah, it's extremely rewarding, especially the second boss. I yep. was stuck in him for a while because, like a Souls game, it doesn't tell you anything. So <laughs> I had no idea I could level up my or upgrade my weapons or my armor. So I'm like, why can't I do any damage to this guy? I'm not doing any damage at all. And, well, it's because I didn't upgrade my armor or my weapon, so I was doing nothing to him. So it looked like I was doing zero damage. Although, to be um, clear, when you hit a boss, you might not actually lessen their health. Like the second boss, you have to break its legs. Yeah. Breaking the leg doesn't deal damage until you hit him after you break the leg or something like that. Right, you have to break off a certain number of legs. What I like about that, too, is that every boss gives you his weapon. But if you mm-hmm. beat them in a certain way, you get a more powerful version of that weapon. So the second boss, if you break all of its legs off before it goes to phase two, you get a more powerful version of the firebug. How can you possibly break its all of its legs? It's gotta be fast. There's that little No, but like once you break his fourth leg, there's like a little like slow mo animation. No, you just gotta be can't... faster. I be I broke all but one leg off. Really? Yeah. Okay. You just gotta be fast. I suck. I yeah, suck. you do. You suck balls. I'm really, really bad at that game. So, yeah, I think that you're right in the sense that, like, these bosses probably aren't going to be the most memorable in a year. Right. But the experience of playing them was still really fun. It's not like they were bad bosses. They're really well-made bosses. Yep. Minus the first one. The first one I thought was pretty forgettable. Yeah. There wasn't anything special. I mean, it literally is walk up to his legs, hit his legs, and when he goes to stomp, just, you know, move out of the way and then go back and hit his legs again. Like, that's really it. That's the whole boss battle. Yep. So that was kind of lame. But everything else after that... Like, multiple phases, you really had to learn movesets. It was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that difficulty. I like the rewards. I love that it mm-hmm. encourages exploration, too, because I'm the type of person yes. in this game that I every nook and cranny I'm exploring because things like the Iron Mouse armor I was able to get really early in the game that helped out. There was an injectable that you'll come across. You've come across hazardous gas, right? Mm-hmm. You, and you got the, like, the hazmat suit. Uh, I haven't gotten that, but gotcha. Well, there's a maybe you... I have. I don't know. I have like my my stuff that I have, and I'm just sticking with it because it's working for me. I haven't really been experimenting too much. The guys that shoot the grenades out that have the yeah. gas does that gas harm you? Oh yes, it does. Oh well, if you kill the guys who have the hazmat suits that are the flamethrowers okay. and use their armor, that protects against that. Ooh, that's good to know. It hasn't been an issue for me, honestly, because I use... So I've been using implants that are focused on increasing my... So you have, like, uh, implants to kind of... They're perks, basically. uh, Yeah, implants, yeah. Yeah. And this is another Fallout comparison, because in Fallout you have perks. When you level up, you basically can choose what perks you want to use, which might be, like, take less damage or do more damage when you sneak up on somebody, stuff like that. In this, you get implants, which essentially be something like... Um, your energy doesn't deplete as fast, or get more health, or, like, your your Estus Flask in a Dark Souls. Like, that's an implant in this game. So you can decide if you want more or less of those, but it might be at the sake of something else. Right. And I went... So I have six six health reboosts that are at the high level. So I have, the like, the best possible health boost I can get right now. There's also one where... When you hit enemies, you're you're building up an energy meter, and if you, for me, if I build up my energy meter to, I want to say like a third, I can get a little bit of health back. Oh, so you've done yeah, convert the enemy to energy to health. I do that one a lot. So when I 
the gas doesn't really bother me because I'll just wail on those guys to boost up my energy, and then I just get back what I lost from the gas, and it doesn't really matter. In a lot gotcha. of cases, I get more energy back than there is a uh, there's a in the, the last area. You're going to want either the hazmat suit or the injectable. That if you search for it, you can find an injectable that makes hazardous gas not affect you. Okay. Because uh, the last area is filled with gas everywhere. So Wonderful. Okay. I would definitely recommend that. But uh, all of that being said, like, yeah, if you explore, you can find that injectable. That means, oh, I don't have to wear that suit so I can wear my Iron Man. Where is that injectable? Is that? It's in research and development. Okay, because I've been searching every single nook and cranny. I've been pretty good about that. Yeah, make sure, so. you, make sure you search all over that area. You'll find it. I don't remember where I found it, but I remember it was like mm-hmm. one of those traditional Dark Souls. You see a light somewhere and you're like, how the fuck do I get to that? Yeah, and there is like fall off a cliff somewhere and it's there. Yeah, there's a lot of that and that's that's one comparison to Dark Souls I want to make. That's one thing I loved about Dark Souls is stuff like that where you can look out in the in the long distance and see something that's of interest. Like yeah. when you walk into a new level of Dark Souls, they basically show you the entire map just from the vantage that you're currently at. Like you can kind of see everything or you can see your next level off in the distance somewhere. This game has some elements where you'd be like, oh, I can see that item I can't quite get right now, but I will at some point be able to get there. But you're definitely much more confined, and everything's a little bit more claustrophobic. So you don't really know where your branching paths are going to go because you don't really have an idea of what that grand scope of the level really is. And you start to kind of... And the shortcuts, I think, are fantastic in this game. Oh, gosh, shortcuts. Oh, like, where... Where am I in this game? I don't know where I am right now. And then you're like, oh, I'm back at the med lab. Yep. You take an elevator, you bash a wall, and you're like, oh, thank God, a med lab. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I got that feeling more in this game than I did from Dark Souls in the sense of, oh, thank God, I finally got – I circled back again. In Dark Souls – and this is – I definitely got those feelings in Dark Souls, but I feel like in – I also got moments, too, where I'm like, crap, I thought I was making progress. I'm just back at the beginning again. Whereas this, it was always a relief because there's so many branching paths. You come to one area and you're like, hey, I can take a left here or a right here. Oh, I'll take the left and see what happens. And like, oh, sweet, brings me back to the med lab. Really glad that I went left. Now I can go right and keep progressing and not feel as bad that I have 11,000 tech scraps. Yep. Or another great thing about this game is you can save the tech scraps yes, at bank the med that lab. Scrap. So you don't have like 100,000 tech scraps because you want to save towards something and you lose them all of a sudden and then you're totally upset and pissed. Yep. But another brilliant thing this game does is the more tech scrap you accrue and the longer you're away from the med bay, the bigger the multiplier, which means the more you end up gaining from that too. So it kind of encourages mm-hmm. you to be like, oh, the med bay is right there, but do I really need it right now? Because if yeah. I stay out, I can get a higher multiplier. It just encourages that difficulty again. Encourages you to kill yourself. Mentally. <laughs> no, but like it is literally how hard do you want this game to be? Decide for yourself. Yeah. And I love games like that. I think it's a really great mechanic. Because yeah. sometimes you're like, I'm only saving a small amount. I'm just going to save it at the tech lab right now, the med lab right now, because I don't want to risk it. Or I know I'm going to a dangerous area. So let me not do all that right now. Yep. And risk losing the tech, uh, tech scraps. So it's, it's really good for those kind of small decisions in the moment. Good stuff. Good stuff. What were the weapons you used most often? I used two weapons the entirety of my uh, playthrough. There are the two, like, claws, kind of. Or not claws, but, like, the two-handed quick weapon. Yeah. 
Um, I used that for a little bit, but didn't really like it that much. So I just started using that. Um, what was it called? We were texting about Vibro-cutter? it. The Splicer. Who was it? Vibrocutter. Yeah, Vibrocutter. I've been using that the entire time. I used the Vibrocutter for a, a good chunk of the game. And then f- I, I always had a medium weapon and a heavy weapon. Because mm-hmm. the heavy weapon was definitely good for like staggering people. Or some of the slower enemies. You could if, get through an entire combo and kill them in one combo. See, I was able to upgrade my... Um, what was it called again? You just told me. Viper Cutter. Viper Cutter. I was using my Viper Cutter. Um, I leveled up to a point where I could basically knock some um, enemies out without having to have them, you know, hit me back or anything like that. Yeah. I can get them out pretty quickly. But if you if you kind of sneak up behind enemies, you can stagger them without a heavy weapon. Yeah, if you sneak up so, behind them and you like wait for the but, cursor to turn orange, yeah. Even if you're in the middle of combat with them, you can still do it. So the flamethrower yeah. guys, one thing you can do, and I stumbled upon this, it was great, is you can sneak up behind them. If you kind of stagger them, they just blow up. Yep. It was so, so then great. you can't cut off their limbs. Yeah, I kind of stopped carrying with the armor, though, because I just wanted to progress. And I wanted to... <laughs> yeah, there's a point where I'm like, all right, I farmed enough of these arm pieces or this headpiece that... Well, I just I liked my rhino armor. I didn't want to change out. And this is something that happens to me in all games that I play. Like in Silver Breath of the Wild, I found the armor set I liked and just stuck with that armor set. And you're not Souls, upgrading that set, though? I'm upgrading that set, yeah. Okay. So you still need to like get the armor from that person to get more of that higher But now there's material. no one with rhino armor around, so I can't even do that. And I'm like, I'm just sticking with my rhino armor. And if it becomes a problem, oh, no. then I'll go back and... No, no, no. So you can... You're, you get crafting materials, like five levels of crafting materials? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... You, even if it's not a rhino armor, you can still get that high-level crafting material okay. from someone's arm to use on your arm. Okay, that's good to, to know. upgrade it. So, yeah, definitely still go after so that kind of still stuff. Just, yeah. That's probably yeah, where you're... Where it you're hasn't been to... a problem, though. It hasn't really been an issue for me. I've been doing really well against enemies. I've died a handful of times in the research lab. Not okay. that often. Let me know how it goes in the... Uh, in the no, in it'll the be perfect. Sections. I won't yeah. die once. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... See, I, I stick with my materials, but... That was yeah. the point I was making. I ended up doing... So I did the Vibro Cutter and the Bloodhound, which was the, I have that. Yeah. Don't use it. I used that for a little bit. Mostly the Vibro Cutter because it was faster for the second and third area because those enemies are really fast. Mm-hmm. And then I found uh, the little android guys that have like the club-like weapons. That one, when I upgraded it to the same thing as the Vibro Cutter, was actually stronger and had better stats. So I was like, cool, I used that. And then I got the bloody version from that boss because I decided I'm only fighting him once. I'm going to cut off and take his weapon. So I got that one, and that was even better. And then at the very end, I got this giant purple, sparkly, artifacty-looking weapon called the Götterdammerung. <laughs> and it, it's awesome. Well, I think overall, I really want to play the second game. I can't wait for it to come out next year. Oh, I year. can't freaking wait. Are you going to finish this awesome. one? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to finish it. Good. Yeah. It's it's a very good game. It's the best of the non-From Software Souls-like games. Granted, I haven't played Neo. Yeah. Which appears also I'm sure it's better. Good. I just said that right now, having only played 10 seconds of the demo. Informed opinions. Oh, barf. Good job, barf. <laughs> next month's barf. Bar for March is Far Cry 4. So everybody, get Far Cry 4 on whatever system you want. Last gen, this gen. If you have PlayStation Plus, there's a good chance you already have it. Yep, take a look that at that. That is the case with Chad and I. We both already have it. Yep. Next up, I want to tell you about something, a cool opportunity for you guys called Photo Mode. If photo you mode? like What's photo money, mode? money, there's an opportunity for you to use your social media 
to win some cool-ass prizes. But what if you live in the middle of a forest and don't use money? Oh my god, if you live in the middle of the forest and you don't use money, then get the fuck out of our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what we're doing. Once a month, we're going to have a social media challenge, whereas... By challenge, I mean it's super easy on your part, and you just have to tweet a photo of yourself, basically. Uh, And then we're going to choose, based on a a rule, who gets these $10 codes. You're going to get, there. this month of March, there are three $10 codes that are available for three people. Three codes for three You can use those codes. We'll get you a code for the service of your choice, whether it's Xbox, PSN, eShop, or Steam. You can get one code per person. So... What do you have to do to get this thing, Holden? Well, you have to take a picture of yourself. I was going to answer, but you... Oh, you have that go. up already? No, you can go for it. Okay. It's fine. So this you have is... to take a picture of yourself. You're, you're having fun. You have to take a picture of yourself listening to our podcast in your favorite way. And that can but, be you Chad, at the what if they're listening to music and not our podcast? If it's a photo, we'll never know. I don't give a shit as long as they advertise <laughs> our podcast for us. <laughs> so this could be at the gym. This can be a picture of you napping. This could be a picture of you bathing your dog. You could be coloring poop emojis in a coloring book. Whatever it is, a picture of you listening to our podcast in a fun, favorite way. And all you have to do is tweet it, Instagram it, however you want, Twitter or Instagram. You have until Sunday, March 11th. You have to use the hashtag RespawnPhotoMode and tag us at RespawnAimFire on either one of those two medias for that to count. One entry per social network. Winners will be chosen using a random number eight or generator. That will all be chosen on March 11th, Sunday night, midnight at Eastern Time. So if you're listening right now or in the next week or so, go ahead and get on that. Take a photo of yourself. Tweet it. Yeah, it's free advertising for us because we want you guys to let your friends know that we're awesome so that we can get more listeners. But also you guys get free money. So uh, we'll have that detail, that information up on our Twitter. Nothing as well is free, as we'll Chad. Little... They must sign their souls to us. That That's is exactly also right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll be advertising this on our Instagram and our Twitter. Keep an eye out each month, too, because the, they're going to get more interesting and weird and fun over the next couple months. Oh, Holden. Holden, Holden, Holden. Let's open What's up our, our quest log and see what the internet has given for us today. Ooh, the internet has some great things. Starting first uh, from IGN, we have, I didn't even know about this until right now, Planet of the Apes VR oh, game Oh, yeah, Planet of the Apes VR game. Now, I've done some fancy stuff where I've started highlighting key aspects of these in like three articles, and then I decided, well, we have a shit ton of articles, or as we are calling them now, quests. Uh, And so I did it for three and stopped. And this is our quest log. So coming April 3rd, this is titled Crisis on the Planet of the Apes. This VR adventure (laughs) is experienced. I don't know why uh, I that name really funny. (laughs) It's experienced from the perspective of an ape trying to escape a heavily guarded scientific facility. Crisis is set five years after the flu outbreak, the widespread virus that devastated humanity and granted apes human-like intelligence. So here's what's important to know. It's uh, developed by, by Imaginati Studios. Yeah. That's the same guy. That's a uh, that's, uh, fucking Gollum. What's his name? Jesus Christ. Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. That's his, his kind of studio that he made the previous not-quite-a-game game that came out a couple Last months Frontier. ago. Last Frontier. Last Frontier, yeah. Yeah. So take that how Which you will. not good. Nope. This is made Apparently in partnership. Really bad. Made in pa- partnership with Foxnet VR Studio. Oh, now it must be great then. 20th Century Fox's VR focused subsidiary, so you know it's a movie studio's crappy <laughs> VR spin-off. <laughs> so um that's a thing that's coming on April 3rd. 
Probably not going to be great, but I'm not going to judge no. it before it gets here. But it's probably when a game suck. gets announced <laughs> a month before its release, it's not usually a wonderful sign, I would think. Yeah. Also, just the studio that's behind it is not having a great track record in the franchise they're releasing a game with. Yeah. Game. So, not good stuff there. But I want to talk about a story that's even worse. Okay. Great. Even worse than that. That bad new um, sandwich again. From Destructoid. This is just terrible news. In Metal Gear Survive, they're going to have a microtransaction, this has been talked about a lot in the past month, that will open up a new save slot for $10. So you have one save slot, and if you decided, hey, I want my brother who lives in in the house need to play this game too, or my roommate, or I just want a second save file, you have to chalk up 10 extra dollars, which is ridiculous. Do you think that carries across, like if we have two different users on the PlayStation... Does one user get a save slot, the other user gets another one? Or is that two save slots for one user? I would imagine in in that case, yes. Different users would have different save slots. Gotcha. But some people, like, don't have, don't make multiple multiple users for... Well, that's going to cost them $10. (laughs) It's going to cost them $10, but still, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. That is, yeah, that's dumb. I think what they were going for is, it's a survival game. The stakes will be high if this is your only save file. But we're going to be good guys and give you the option of creating a different one. But there will be a barrier to entry to increase the survival elements of the game. Give us money. That is the barrier. I, I'm. That's like the most positive spin you could possibly put on that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That's. I think outside of Battlefront 2, that's the worst microtransaction. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah. Speaking of Metal Gear Survive, we have another quest from IGN. Says Metal Gear Survive Dev appears to call out Konami in hidden message. I love this. If you take a look at uh, <laughs> it's like a, a dossier or like a, a document on a clipboard here. It's early in the game too. Yeah, early in the game, uh, taken from the first nineteen minutes of the game. Every single first letter of the names on the page spells out KJP forever, Kojima Productions forever, <laughs> uh, which is pretty funny. And then there's also. Two names on there are Bastard Yota and Cunning Yuji. Which are, uh, they are directors on the game. Yep. Yep. So basically the team hates them and wants Kojima back. Well, there, yeah, there's somebody in the inside, if not multiple people, who are just like, I'm the Trojan horse and I'm going to put all this shit in the game. I'm interested, I wonder if that's the only thing that's in the game. Oh, I, I, I have a feeling we're going to see some more stuff start to come out. I think this will get the most press attention because it's the first one. But I think we will see a few more examples. I, I'm honestly kind of hoping because, first, we don't really know what happened with Kojima at Konami besides yep. the fact that they were absolute dicks to him. That's that, that's as much as we know is that they were mean to him. Yep. They were not great to him. Actually, they didn't go to BGAs. That's pretty notable. But... I really want to know what happened, and I really think that you shouldn't treat your artists like that. What if there's an Especially audio log make... in this game where you listen to the audio log and it just tells you the whole story of what happened to Kojima? Oh, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. But this is a sign that there's bad blood in the company still, in the sense that people are upset internally about this. Yeah. That's not great. That could blow up. Motherfucking bad blood. So we'll see. We will see. What other quests do we have, Chad? Oh, we've got some from Kotaku. Kotaku. One quick one from Kotaku. Chrono Trigger gets a surprise yes. release today on Steam, on PC. That's random. Yeah, out of nowhere. One of the greatest RPGs of all time, now available for fourteen ninety nine. 
It includes the 2008 added bonus stuff from the DS version as well, which is good to know. And also, after months of controversy, also from Kotaku, after months of controversy, the ESRB will add, quote, in-game purchases. Before we get to that, we have a direct tie-in to that story. There's another surprise launch today as well. We do. Yeah, from Polygon, uh, we have, what was it, Uh, Outlast came out to Switch today out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, that's right. Out of nowhere. But anyway, keep going with the ESRB because this is an important story. Yeah, we've been we've been kind of talking about the loot box controversy a lot since Battlefront Two, and uh, a lot of people have just been there have been governments saying we need to get in on this. It's gambling. We need some kind of law about it. And now the ESRB is stepping in with uh, I don't even know if I'd call it a half measure, maybe a quarter measure. Uh, specifically if, from if the article, you could consider it a measure. Yeah, from the article it says. The label will apply to, quote, bonus levels, skins, surprise items, such as item packs, loot boxes, mystery awards, music, virtual coins, and other forms of in-game currency, subscriptions, season passes, and upgrades, e.g. to disable ads, the ESRB said this morning in a press release. And then Kotaku goes on to say, you might be thinking, won't this label apply to just about every modern video game? And the answer is yes. I read the first paragraph, but I thought, I'm like, doesn't that apply to every game? And then I read the second paragraph, there's a line in there, and I'm like, yeah, pretty much, exactly, yep. yeah. So it means that pretty much every game you buy now will now have a sticker that says in-game purchases on it. This is so useless information. I think this is a good direction to take, which is marking a game that might have some questionable, or not questionable, but has alternative methods for um for revenue, right, built into it. The problem I think is, it's, it's now also including. Oh, it has a twenty dollars so expansion pack or DLC. Or I think costumes. it needs to be there if it's required for gameplay. A DLC is not required to play the game you just bought. Yeah, loot boxes might be. So I think if it's something that enhances the built-in game experience, that is something that should be talked about. Season passes don't build or go into that. Um. I don't know what they mean by surprise items. Oh, loot box. Okay. Yeah. Um, the the skins, they kind of play into that. Bonus levels, I kind of see as like DLC. But I think it's like loot boxes and like kind of like card packs, like in Hearthstone, that kind of thing. So here's that, what they, the yeah, ESRB had to say about loot boxes. So there's a go, further in the article, it says, quote, I'm sure you're all asking why we aren't doing something more specific to loot boxes, she said. We've done a lot of research over the past several weeks and months, particularly among parents. What we've learned is that a large majority of parents don't know what a loot box is. Even those who claim they do don't really understand what a loot box is. So it's very important for us to not harp on loot boxes per se to make sure that we're capturing loot boxes, but also other in-game transactions. But this controversy started because of loot boxes. I know. But what they're saying is that if we put this game has loot boxes on the package, parents don't even know what that means, so it's useless. But but then... It's not useless because then parents are saying, oh, loot boxes, what's a loot box? And then they'll hopefully take the initiative to find out what a loot box is. Like on a cigarette package, they tell you exactly what's fucked up with them in (laughs) certain countries. They don't say like, there's things in here. I don't know if these are quite as bad as cigarettes, but I see your point. They're not, but you see my point. Yeah, like (laughs) they tell you what it is. No one knows what the actual disease they're talking about on the cigarette package is, but you know what ain't good for you. I'm glad that ESRB is starting to have this conversation. I don't mm-hmm. think this is nearly far enough, and I hope that they do kind of evolve yeah, that very soon. No, I, am, I agree with you. I'm glad they're doing it as well because ESRP is what's allowed this industry to self-regulate yep. and very effectively. Usually you don't see effective self-regulation 
in any industry, but the video game industry has done it pretty damn well. So, yep, that is definitely a good thing to keep talking about. Keep on, now, keep on. Tell me about speaking another of talking about. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to talk about things while playing oh, Payday gosh. Two on Switch. Oh gosh. Let's talk about that. You can't talk uh, over voice chat with Payday 2 on the Switch. Can't wait to and... pay 20 bucks for this service. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, and I think this is interesting, you can do voice chat kind of with Splatoon 2 because you have the built-in um, Nintendo Switch app. Yep. Uh, not built-in, but the downloadable Switch app. And what's the name of the studio for Payday? It is Starbreeze. Starbreeze Studios, they've been asking Nintendo hey, can we get in on that because it's kind of important for a game, and they haven't heard anything back yet. And I think Nintendo's probably thinking, oh, we'll just wait until we do voice chat with our online service. Hopefully that's coming, cross my fingers. But it's not a great strategy if you're going to say, hey, we're releasing this game, but it's an extremely inferior version of this game. They should have just told Starbreeze Studios to at least wait till September and not release a version of this game that doesn't have the, the voice chat capability. It's yeah, ridiculous. but then that puts them in, like, the launch window with all the other games of the fucking fall. So, right now they're pointing... The Payday 2 people are, are pointing their customers to a Discord channel, specifically. Yeah. So you can That's still use that app. But great solution. No. It is what it is. It is what it is. And that's all you can expect from Nintendo's online capabilities. Um, let's talk about that, actually. Because th- yeah. that's ties into another quest log here. Okay. Uh, another quest. So this is the a rumor that Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch is apparently releasing this year, and it features new content. Mm. Mm. So, I am here for that. That's what the kids say, right? I'm here for this. <laughs> so this is coming from a Reset Era post, which is kind of like a Reddit almost. And Emily Rogers basically talked about this. Emily Rogers has been a industry insider and released a lot of information on just Nintendo leaks in general. Granddaughter of Mr. Rogers. Don't think that's true. I, That'd I'm, be really fun. I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> so, I there's been question as to what her track record is. I believe her in this case. We'll get to that in a second. But this question about her track record and ha- predictions that she's made that haven't been accurate. And I looked at her track record, um, at least what I could find of it, because it's kind of hard to find just random articles about an industry insider. What I found is predictions from, you know, the past year or so, or at least in the kind of recent era of video game news, and also older predictions from 2011 to kind of see how they panned out. I want to start with the 2011 predictions. Okay. Because this is when the Wii was being referred, or the Wii U was being referred to as the Wii HD. And here are five predictions that she made. The Wii HD would have been a better name. Yeah. (laughs) So... She made five predictions that I kind of found um, in that era. Not all related to Wii HD, but most of them are. Pikmin 3 coming to Wii HD. That happened. Wii HD won't have a hard drive. Technically, it's true. It had a little, like, it had a, like, a SD card basically built into it. It was, like, 32 gigabytes of storage. So not really a hard drive. Yeah. She said in 2011 that Metro, Metroid 3DS is in the works, but it won't come for a very long time. That turned out to be true. It's a very long time, like six years afterwards, but yeah. apparently there's a lot of shifting of hands in who's developing that game, so that can make sense how that might have happened. So I'll give her the check on that one. And the two in that era that I found that didn't come true was that Soul Calibur V would be a Wii HD launch title, and that Rockstar was working on a Wii HD title. Now, 
here's the thing with those two predictions. Soul Calibur Five, clearly she was wrong on that one because it just didn't happen. But with the Rockstar one, that could have been true, but then, then the Wii U started selling terribly and Rockstar backed out. So things can change like in, in the business side of things. So you might make a prediction because of the background business affairs, it might not actually play out the way that you were initially told based on whoever her insider is. So then let's cut to the more recent predictions, which have actually been a lot more spot on. And when they are wrong, they're more forgivable. So here's her six predictions she made. The Switch would be less powerful than the PS4. That was definitely true. Yep. She said there was going to be a Tegra chip built in on the Switch. That's not a random guess you can just make, considering at the time we didn't even know what kind of console the Switch was going to be. When people are thinking it's going to be a set-top box, you're not thinking it's going to be a mobile processor in it. So if she's saying the Tegra chip, she knows something. Like, that's not just a random guess you can throw out there, I don't think. She predicted, or didn't predict, but she had information on the January 11th, 2018 Nintendo Direct. That turned out to be true, even though we didn't know about it until the second it posted. <laughs> Breath of the Wild would be getting ported to NX. At the time, it was called NX. Then, like, a month later, that turned out to be true. This is where the two that are didn't happen, but I can see how an insider who might not know the full picture would have said something like this. Mario Odyssey is a launch title. Okay, it wasn't a launch title, but it was like a launch year, and Nintendo might have considered that part of their launch, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, like the a, whole year is kind of like, it's definitely a stretch. Kind of a stretched launch window is what. Launch window, like, yeah. That is, but, that's stretching it to even call it that. But based on the information I've read is that Mario Odyssey had been completed for a long time, but they always knew it was going to be a fall game. So it very well could have been ready, and they were thinking, hey, if we needed to get some things ready for Breath of the Wild, they had to push that back, we could launch Mario Odyssey as a launch title. Because they weren't going to release Switch without one of those two games. Right. So I can see how discussion that she might have picked up on could have led her to that. The other one is that that the um, Splatoon on Switch was going to be a port to the Wii U version. Again, someone who might not have been involved directly with the marketing or the creation of the product, but kind of in some sort of separate role from that. It looks very similar to the first game. I could see how someone could come to that conclusion. Again, she was still wrong, but it's not a huge, massive stretch, I don't think. Yeah. So she doesn't have a perfect track record, but I don't think any industry insider does because things change internally at, at these companies. So I think her track record's actually pretty good. And she's saying that Smash Brothers is going to be coming out in... Um, in the in the um, well, not the fall this but year, yeah, this year, and I think she's right. She's basically saying it's gonna be a combination of the Wii, Wii U and 3DS versions of the game with some bonus content. Basically, the deluxe well. version, yeah, exactly the deluxe version of it. I think that's totally gonna happen, and the reason is is that the Nintendo Online service, which is where we link back into our previous topic, the online service is going to be coming in September. They need a game to launch with that to say, hey, look it, don't you want to play this game in our new service? And we so all say, yes, we do. Because it's Smash Brothers. Yep. They can't really say that about Splatoon Arms um, or um, Mario Kart because those games are already out. Yep. So they need something new to kind of say, hey, don't you want to play this new game? And Smash Bros. would kill. Yep. Nintendo has said they want to sell 30 million units this year. Uh, Smash, and uh, as my prediction has also been that Pokemon's coming this year, 
those two games could absolutely lead to $30 million in sale on top of the Nintendo Labo Blue Ocean strategy. They yep. also say they have more stuff coming for. So I think this is valid. I think this is probably going to happen. This isn't the first time we've heard talk of a Smash Switch game coming. It sounds reasonable. So yeah, I'm expecting I it. I think she's I'm excited as fuck. I've been wanting to play Smash so bad the last couple of weeks. I have too. God damn it, I won't pick up my 3DS. <laughs> no i might I, re- I actually really have to play i've just played samus returns i made a list of all the things that i have to play for the last couple months i'm mm-hmm. just like i have so much <laughs> the 3ds is, is great but it's just when you're used to playing a switch or used to playing on a controller it's really cramped yeah and especially with smash where it's so like you have to get those controls absolutely right yeah it can feel a little cramped playing smash on there so i've had the same thing where i really wanted to go back and play it then i remember oh wait I'm going to get hand cramps, and I really don't want that. Yeah. Especially when playing a game that intense. That was a lot. Holden. Yes. Let's, let's, uh, I'm going to right now just coin something that we haven't talked about. I'm going to rattle off a couple of fetch quests. Okay. And these are things that I've decided right now are quests that aren't much more than the headline. We don't really have to discuss much more than what the headline (laughs) says. Uh, One of them is... Coming in 2018 to iOS and Android devices is Ghostbusters from Kotaku. Ghostbusters World. It's an augmented reality game. Um, great. Ooh. That's about all we know of it. There's a, a very short teaser. It's going to be similar to Pokemon Go. They just keep wanting to bring Ghostbusters back. Yeah. All of those hundreds and hundreds of ghosts that are so famous from <laughs> Ghostbusters. I have to get, think of the Green Ghost and the Marshmallow Man. Slimer, <laughs> so Stay Puffed, of. and the ghost from the logo that we never see. I think he is. Oh yeah, he's never in the. Yeah, he's never in it. Yeah, that's too funny. Uh, another fetch quest: Cyberpunk from IGN. Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is more ambitious than Witcher three. CD Projekt Red says. I do have a point on that one really quickly. Go for it. Uh, I think the reason we're hearing these stories is that we're going to see uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven at E three. I think They've so been too. So silent on it. They're going to show it off this year. E three is the time to do it. That's all I have to time. say. Think it is time. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, Square Enix will be still releasing Final Fantasy 15 DLC in 2019. They just won't quit with that game. They I mean, won't. good for I them, I guess. Good strategy. Yeah. 16's not going to come out for a long time. Let's just keep giving people Final Fantasy games and not yeah. talk about 16 in the meantime. I mean, it's basically their it's Final great. Fantasy game of service without being an MMO like Final Fantasy 14, which they're still supporting as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, here are two more. There's a rumor that Diablo 3 is coming to Nintendo Switch in ni- 2019. That's from Game Rant. So Most likely. Already been on PS4 and Xbox 360 and Xbox One, all that kind of stuff for a while. Obviously PC as well. I would play the shit. I would buy that again. I've been thinking about going back to Diablo 3 and playing the Man- Necromancer DLC I never got either. I've never played Diablo, and that would probably be the way I want to play it. <laughs> oh, dude, it's good. It's good. If, you, if, you, if it comes out on Switch and you buy it, we're fucking gaming together. Wait, you we no can choice. game together? That... As long as we pay $20 a year for a shitty service. It's going to be great. What are you talking about? I have no faith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then one more from IGN. Actually, no, that one's a little bit... It's related. We won't call this a fetch quest, but let's actually talk about this one a little bit. From IGN, Diablo Creator says, bringing Diablo 2 to modern PCs would be extremely difficult. I read this, and I was very confused, because isn't the benefit of PC that... Is he, he's talking about, like, remastering it? Right. So I don't okay. know if you remember okay. this. I, I guess maybe it was about a year, year and a half ago. Blizzard now it makes posted sense. Okay. a job posting saying for someone who 
could come in with a passion of taking our old classics like Diablo 2 and StarCraft and making them accessible for the modern age. And that was kind of the language that was used for the job posting. And what this gentleman's saying, David Brevik, who's the co-founder of Blizzard North and creator of Diablo, he is saying that a lot of the code for the game and the way that the entire game functions is dependent upon the 4 by 3 aspect ratio, which is anything in 4 by 3 nowadays looks like trash and garbage and it's weird and awkward. It's, it's yeah, very strange. So a lot of the spawning of the enemies or things that would pull aggro from off the screen until you see them in that 4 by 3 almost square shape, they're just kind of standing there waiting for you to approach them. So if you were to stretch that out to 16 by 9, especially the grid that they have there, you'd be running around and you would often just see piles of enemies standing there watching you, not attacking. Uh, and apparently it would be really difficult to to kind of adapt that and remaster it for the 16 by 9 Now, of course, you could play it in 4 by 3 and still kind of get away with it just fine, but interesting. Something I, I haven't it sounds about. like they just have to remake the game. They do. Completely. They have to remake the game. They have to. In which case, that's what he's saying. He's just saying, make a new Diablo game at that point. Right. He's saying that basically uh, everything would it would be that game, but it would feel different. It wouldn't quite feel like the same Diablo yeah. two. It would be a new version of it. But yeah, no, I'm not to too it. in the know on Diablo, but I do recall that obviously Diablo two has a massive cult following, but also people just really adore that game. And I, if I recall, Diablo 3 didn't really hit the sweet spot for a lot of people. There's some controversy over the art style. Okay. Uh, it still has a lot of support and a, a lot of people playing it. But, uh, yeah, there's most of the controversy was the art style. It made it more, like, cartoony, like the World of Warcraft style than the gotcha. okay. kind of... Not so much the gameplay itself. Like some people can look past, for the most right. part. Right. Okay. Well, they'll probably just make Diablo 4 at that point, then. Which is also rumored to be in development. I'm... Um, wouldn't be surprised it took them 10 years to announce diablo 3 so we'll see mm-hmm. holden read me some of these quests that you're more familiar with yeah so i thought this was a funny one here um Mar- from uh, kotaku mario odyssey players are breaking the new balloon mode i haven't gotten a chance to play this balloon mode yet but i'm still excited to play it again this is basically this is the hide and seek DLC yeah it's the hide and right? seek so you one person hides a balloon in a level the person has to find it but there are people who are hiding the balloons that know how to glitch the game and will hide the balloon within walls and places that <laughs> normal players can't access and here's where it gets annoying um and again this is just from what i'm reading not from personal experience but you you get basically um, like in the surge. The more you collect, the you know, um, the longer you hold on to your your uh, tech scraps. There's a multiplier. So if you are playing this and you keep collecting balloons and you keep getting them, you get more and more and more coins. It's, there's a multiplier to it. It builds up. And if you do one and then all of a sudden you find it's clipped into a wall and you can't get it, well, that kills your multiplier. So it actually Aww. really detracts from the experience of people who are trying to find these balloons. Yeah. So basically just kind of on Nintendo to find a solution to this. That sounds really frustrating. Yeah. It's not like it's just a hard area to reach because you have to know the certain move combos. They glitched the game. So that's not cool. Yeah. Not cool. Um, and our dumb game potato story of the week. Game potato. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. From Rolling Stone magazine, I don't think we've ever talked about anything from Rolling Stone before, but a Rhode Island representative, which I'm ashamed because that's the state that I grew up in, a Rhode Island representative wants to increase tax on violent video games. 
he basically wants to charge a tax on M-rated games because the school shootings and helping mental stability and all that. Yeah, this is where where government doesn't quite know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So they they quote this. They say that there is evidence that children exposed to violent video games at a young age tend to act more aggressively than those who are not. Okay, then you're taxing this only on M-rated games, games that they're already not allowed to play. Right. So that's one thing that I have an issue with. But also, that's not true, actually. There have been studies that prove that if you play violent video games, you're actually a more peaceful person in real life. They, and this other study worked. They just took kids who had played video games and kids who hadn't played video games, gave them certain toys, and watched how aggressive they were with the toys. And the kids who had played video games were not as aggressive. The kids who, played, who had not played video games were violent towards <laughs> the toys. So there's no, there's not, you can find evidence on either side for it, but there's more evidence saying that it doesn't impact your how your violent nature it's yep. just ridiculous i'm so tired of hearing it we've been hearing this from politicians for geez as long as i've been alive it's stupid and it's annoying and it's just a dumb game potato dumb game potato dumb game potato speaking of dumb game potatoes ea fucked up it what officially announced burnout paradise remastered a lot Which of people are really. Did you ever play that game? No, but I always wanted to. So, so I many might people are all like freaking out about this. Like I, I always thought of Burnout Paradise as like that double A type game, like midway level THQ kind of stuff. And I never played it myself, but apparently there's a huge following that is so fucking. I remember when it was coming game. out, and I was really pumped. I wanted to play it, and just never did. It's because I just was young and yeah. I don't play a lot of games, games with cars. Neither do I. But it's coming. But EA. This is, these are both from IGN. EA also accidentally listed in the game description that it has microtransactions. Uh, it turns out it, it does not. That was do you think it's because it really does not, or because at one point, say before Battlefront 2, it did, and now they That's decided to backtrack? That's a possibility. I think it's a possibility. But, also but good for them strange. for recognizing that in backtracking. Absolutely. If that is the case. It's strange, though, to if they were thinking that, to put microtransactions in a remaster. Like a game yeah. that already existed, already had a way of functioning, and they're going to try to make more money off of it. Very strange. Yep. But they're not. It was a mistake. They're not. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, another strange thing is, this is coming from Kotaku as well, Assassin's Creed has this discovery mode, or the tour mode, yep. and they're going to censor the nudity, uh, not like campuses walking around, but of statues. Yeah. In the, that existed in, in the real world. They're going to use seashells to cover up the nudity. Yeah, for a, for a game that prides itself on how historically accurate its environments are, so much that they are actually offering an educational mode where you go around and take tours, it's really fascinating that they are censoring stone statues it's, in the it's game. It's so disingenuous to just what history was. Yeah. It's just, I hate this. I hate the censorship of history. It bothers me. Like, that statue was made. Someone made that. And then you're going to put a seashell on top of it? I mean, like, can you imagine if people grew up thinking that the Statue of David had a seashell on it? And then they exactly. see his wiener for the first time and, like, well, they're all, oh my God, who made that stupid wiener on the Statue of David and defaced it? <laughs> but, like, if you go to a museum and you see artwork, it's not like. They have, oh, there's a child in here, so someone cover up quickly. Like, no, it just that's the yeah. art. That's what it looks like. It's beautiful. 
take it in, enjoy it. Exactly. It's not gratuitous. It's not like it's pornography. It's like what are the kids to be doing? They'll be jerking off in class, looking at the statue. Of... <laughs> oh my god! Stupid. Look at those carved stone breasts. <laughs> they're so hard. Oh man, that's that's <laughs> what makes breasts arouse, right? It's when they're hard, <laughs> like a bag of sand. Like a bag of sand. <laughs> oh. I haven't seen Forty Little Virgin in a long time. That's a good movie. Holden, we're going pretty long right now. Yeah. Let's breeze through these last few. Uh, IGN, there's a question from IGN. Sony launches my PlayStation. This is another fetch one, a browser-based version of the app, basically, or the the PlayStation network. You can go in there, check your trophies, mm-hmm. check your messages, see who's playing what on the website now. Cool. Yep, and then really quickly, we're going to have EA is going to have a uh, play event from June 9th to June 11th. Basically going to be around what I think will be E3 time. So they're opening up tickets for free, which is very cool. So those have been all of our kind of small quests for the episode. What's our main quest? Oh, our main quest today is the Nintendo Switch. One year later. We've turned a year old. The Switch will be a year old next week. March 3rd, right? Next week, yeah. March 3rd, yeah. So, Holden, you prepared a little bit of stuff for us to talk about. Go go on and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I just wanted to really talk about kind of the year of the Switch and what that's looked like, what it's meant for gaming as a whole. I would go as far as to say that this has been, I think for Nintendo, it's indisputable this has been the best launch year for Nintendo console ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure where you stand on this. I would say of any console. It's been the best year. So I want to talk about that. First of all, do you agree with that? I, oh, any console. I hadn't thought about that at all, but I mean, I can't probably. Think of... Not only is it like, it's a comeback story, which mm-hmm. people can get behind. It's the underdog. It's the less powerful console still doing crazy good shit. Yeah. But it's also like, it's great. Yeah. Like, I'm I mean, not it's... rooting for it because of those two things, but it's, it's genuinely great. It's a great console. But I think what really solidifies it as, and I'm not talking about sales. I don't want to talk about sales like numbers. It's not what this right. is really about. But like, if you look at Zelda and Mario launch, I know you're not as big of a Zelda fan as I am. But I think you'd be hard pressed to argue that it's not one of the most talked about games of last year. It's obviously up there among some of the best in people's minds. Side note: I had another time. conversation today with Emily mm-hmm. Cipher and another coworker at work. Yeah. And, uh, we all remembered, oh, yeah, Zelda is boring. And she's like, you know, I think I like it because it is boring. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, no, you're fine. But it's even like despite our opinions of the side, it is talked about as one of the best Zelda games ever, which oh, kind of yeah. puts in the upper echelon of one of the best games ever. And same with Mario. So you have these two classic, amazing franchises that both released their best games, debatably, but their best games of all time on that system in the first launch year. I think yeah. that alone is what kind of solidifies it for me as the best launch year for a console. You don't usually see Uncharted and God of War coming out in the first year of a PlayStation launch. Not to bash PlayStation. Their launches right. are really good. It's not that's not the issue, but this is just spectacular. There's actually there's usually a stigma too with launches like like yeah. Knack. Like, you know what? That's the epitome of a launch game. Totally, yeah. Killzone Shadowfall. That's a launch game. Something that's mm-hmm. kind of pretty, has no real depth, and you know a year from now there's going to be better stuff than that. Yeah, exactly. So 
I think it's the definitely the best launch year. I want to talk a little bit though about what it was like before the Switch came out. Oh yeah, everyone has these like rose-colored glasses on now for the Switch. Nobody remembers that everyone <laughs> thought it was going to fucking fail. Oh, absolutely. That, Not even that, but there was talk that like this was the final straw for Nintendo. This is it. Yep, They're Nintendo's done. dead. Which even if the Switch failed, I don't think would have been the case. But that was just really funny to see that contrast. I'm on YouTube a lot. I love watching just commentators on YouTube and that kind of stuff for video games. And so many of them are so like, yeah, we Switch is going to fail. And the Switch came out and they bought one within a month. And they started raving about how much they loved it. And that yeah. that that juxtaposition is really funny. But even before it was released, the rumors around this were so all over the place. I wanted to go over a few of them. Sure. So I talked about Emily Rogers and how she's mentioned that the Switch was going to be less powerful than the PS4. That was one of many rumors about the Switch. At this point, it's called NX. Those Many of the rumors about it were extending from that, which is it'll be less powerful than PS4, to it'll be more powerful than a PS4. You had that huge range. It'll be this yep. really beefy, powerful set-top box that's going to blow all the other consoles out of the water. That's such a huge, wide range of no one really knowing what the fuck this console was going to be. Yep. But there was always that rumor of Nintendo Fusion. Do you remember those rumors? Nintendo, no. There, this is not necessarily fusion. a NX thing. It's been around for a long time. This idea that Nintendo would merge their handheld and their console and have one console to rule them all. The Nintendo Fusion, fusing both handheld and, mm. and, uh, and home consoles. And that was always my personal dream of what I'd get from a Nintendo console. And it happened. It, it did occurred. happen. It's very exciting. So I just think it's really funny just that the, the, the difference there is what we were talking about it beforehand, what it turned into. I remember a lot of the conversation in like the end of 2016 mm-hmm. was like people talking in complete seriousness. Like what would happen if like they fail and where's that go? Does, does Microsoft buy Nintendo? There was also do Apple they, would buy Nintendo. Do they put their yeah. Nintendo games on a PlayStation service? Like that that's the talk people were having that okay, Nintendo's gonna fail. How do they continue to make money? It was off the Sega the talk. They were talking like, oh, yeah. you're gonna leave Sega. Yeah. Yeah, and now it's like, okay, fastest selling console of all time ever. Now it's like, oh, is Sony gonna release a Switch like product? Is Microsoft gonna release a Switch like <laughs> right? product? Like what's gonna happen? Yeah. Right? I it's mean, changed hundred percent. It's a one eighty completely. That conversation didn't even happen even after the reveal event in January. The reveal mm-hmm. event in January, everyone was like, what the fuck are we about to watch? Octopath Traveler looked kind of cool, but oh my god, there are no games for this thing. <laughs> we know Zelda's coming, but what else? And then fucking every single month, there was something spectacular. To totally. I, not even that. I mean, if you're really into the indie game scene, there was something every few weeks. Yeah. There's always a new game to play. I actually have a surprisingly large library of games on Again, my Switch. including kitty porn. <laughs> If, as long as they release it on Switch, you'll buy it. Uh, I, I denounce that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been really, really good so far. I'm super pleased with it. Where do you kind of feel like this stacks up, though, in terms of how we'll look back at that launch year? That la- it's it's going to go down as the probably most successful launch, yeah. uh, even more so than like. Nintendo 64 coming out with Mario 64 because that mm-hmm. was literally the only thing to play for a while. That yeah. and Pilot Wings. Um, of the two, Pilot Wings was definitely the better game. <laughs> definitely the better game. Undeniably. But yeah, not only was it a successful launch from like a 
in a marketing and messaging standpoint, people mm-hmm. get it. They see it, detach the controllers, play on the go. But all of their marketing was coming th- coming true. We see the, the original ad for yeah. Switch, and we're like, mm-hmm. no one's ever going to go to a rooftop and take off the Joy-Cons, <laughs> and then you go to any... <laughs> Any Chipotle. Well, yeah, or, we went to Chipotle and yep. we played snipper clips in a Chipotle. Yep. <laughs> I'm waiting in line for like the opening of the new Apple store here in Chicago. You see mm-hmm. people in line with their Nintendo Switches. Or how about this? We went to the PlayStation Experience. Remember that? Yep. That one time people were waiting in line playing Mario Kart, weren't they? Yep. The people were waiting in line yeah. playing Mario Kart while we were waiting for Black Panther two weekends ago. <laughs> like their their marketing dream is coming true. But I think the thing that will solidify this as, like, everyone's going to look back on this and say, oh, man, that was the most successful launch is because this is the first time in a very long time that Nintendo has gotten third parties to take them as a console seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, they recognize not only is this an inferior console, but but they're going to care about making quality adaptations of their games. mm Mm-hmm. Before we would, uh, I always go back to this the Spider Man three game that came out at the tie in with the movie. But this is like typical of what you would normally get on the Wii. Uh, the same game came out for three sixty Wii PlayStation three, and the Wii version. I played that one because like, oh man, wouldn't that be cool to have a nunchuck and a Wii mote while you're web slinging? And that was a kind of cool concept. But then I realized, man, this is an entirely different game. I'm missing bosses. There are levels completely cut out of this thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much was how much that game was hamstrung and then this generation with the switch we see doom we see skyrim we see all of these these well a lot of bethesda mm-hmm. but even ea putting fifa and announcing that they're gonna have even more support for it this is where they have said all right we understand it's a a less powerful console but we're gonna take the love and care and time to make some really great experiences on it and that so- made for a jam-packed first year i think it's a good place to transition so I want to talk about the future of, of the Switch a little bit. I want to talk about 2018, but this is a good segue like, into, like, the future of, yeah. of Switch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I have this question, and also kind of been said by uh, Fezd. Oh, yeah. So writing in from Twitter, Fezd IRL. Let's do is two questions, because we're going to talk about them in, in the discussion. You just want to talk about – you just want to mention both well, questions? And then let's go mention both questions, and we'll, we'll bring them both up in. in so he discussion. says, at Respawn Aim Fire, he tweeted this just like you can. Was curious about your opinion on something. Since Wii U was a competitor to the Xbox One and PS4 being released only a few years prior to these systems, does that make Nintendo Switch a next-gen console? And then he follows that up with saying, Also, would you even consider the Switch a competitive console in the big three? Sorry for hating, but it seems like its hardware restricts it from so much. Having the inferior versions of multi-plats, multi-platform games, and downgrading settings to even run some games. So... You mentioned the past Nintendo systems have had far, far inferior versions. Right. Where there's missing content altogether. Like, I think Call of Duty launched, I don't think it even had multiplayer on the Wii. I think I might be wrong, but I could be right on that one. But I, I recall I something remember. about that. Um, that's the Wii, not the Wii U version. But, yes, so Fezzi's right. There are inferior versions of the games that are are being released. Like, Doom is obviously not as high fidelity as it is on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Undoubtedly. But it is still, the the game is still intact. There's right. no missing content, minus the um, Snap Map stuff. I th- So, and this then ties into his, is this a new generation? Yes, it's a new generation. Yeah, is this a next-gen console? This is the next-gen, because the Wii, you did compete with the PS4 and Xbox One, technically speaking. 
However, when PS5 and Xbox 2 and Xbox, whatever it's going to be called, that's where I get concerned about the Switch's future is, yeah, you can downgrade Doom because the difference is it's big, but it's not big enough that you can't just downgrade a game and have it run. However, once you get to the next generation, I think that's going to be really hard for them to do. Multi-platforms are not going to just downgrade to be on Switch at that point. I think they're going to be far too kind of high-quality graphics, or they can now do things on the PS5 you couldn't have done on the PS4, like how many uh, AI processes you can have running at one time, like that kind of stuff that you just can't bring down. So I think that, yeah, I think it's going to have a really hard time competing. However, because we're starting this quote-unquote new generation a few years now before the PS5 and Xbox 2 come out, I think it gives multi-platform developers enough time to still see a value in the Switch having a lot of units. When this, by the time the PS4 or PS5 and Xbox 2 come out, Switch will have tens of millions of copy or units out there, and the PS5 and Xbox 2 aren't going to have tens of millions of units out there. So there will still be an advantage temporarily to the Switch, but as time goes on, say by like early time next decade, I think you are going to start to see the Switch hurt a little bit in that regard. Yeah, I I think. The question, you know, is it a competitor? Does this make it a next-gen console? Nintendo's always been weird, and especially for the last three generations, they haven't even considered themselves in a competition with mm-hmm. PlayStation or Xbox, and vice versa. They PlayStation and Xbox have yeah. basically said, hey, it's a two-horse race, and Nintendo's doing their own thing, and that's great. I think they are and they aren't. They are competing, and they're not competing in right. certain ways, yeah. Um, and that being said, we've talked about, you know, what defines a console generation, a little mm-hmm. bit before and this is where it's starting to get cloudy and I don't I don't know if there is necessarily a next gen or what that looks like yeah. but I would say there are enough radical ideas in the Nintendo Switch that yeah I think this constitutes as a next gen system mm-hmm. portable de- like detachable controllers multiple control schemes depending on how you want to play your game I I think that's a next gen enough concept that I I wouldn't be surprised if playstation and xbox are certainly doing r&d into that type of thing right now and do we include that in playstation 5 as far as how does it hold up in the future when those come out i i nintendo's been kind of doing this thing recently with the new 3ds and they kind of have done it too with back in the day with game boy color where they might have a couple exclusive games well even the game boy pocket yeah and yeah. I think we might see Nintendo's mentioned that they are they thinking this might be a little longer life cycle than a lot of mm-hmm. their other systems. I think we might see an upgraded version of the Switch, maybe some exclusive things from the PS5 generation will only play on that version. But yes. yeah, I think we'll see some upgrades to it. I I really hope so, and I think it really depends on the philosophy inside Nintendo. Every right. handheld has had a second version, if you will, or sometimes a third. You have um, Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket. Um, Game Boy Color was really just another version of the Game Boy. It just was a color version of it. It ran the same graphics, right. ultimately. But then you had Game Boy Advance. Well, then you had things. You did have a couple exclusive games to that, like Dragon Warrior, that would only run yeah, the color. Yeah, but ultimately, I still consider that in that kind of original Game Boy lineage because yeah. you have the new 3DS XL, which has you know it's still a 3DS, but it has some games that are exclusive to it, like Earthbound, right. the SNES games, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3D. Uh, anyway. 
uh, Game Boy Advance had the SP and it had the Micro. Then you had the DS, which had the DS, the DS Lite, the DSi, the DS XL. And then 3DS obviously has had the 3DS, the 2DS, the new 3DS, the new 2DS, the, the XL Right. The Excel versions of both of those. So they've always done it in handhelds. They've never done it in home console. Well, they, they did release that the Wii tiny Mini. version of the Wii Mini. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit different, though, I feel. Yeah, that was pretty much after the console was dead. Like, yeah, it was, it was already dead, and it wasn't like a mid-generation boost, like a PS4 or a right. PS4 Pro is kind of thing. So if they keep with their trend of this is a home console, their philosophy has been it stays the same as it goes along, but I think it'd be really smart of them to do that Switch Plus or whatever they're going to call it. So yeah. I think they they should absolutely do it. I think they will do it, but it then kind of ties into that. Is this a handheld? Is this the home console? Right. They still might be doing a handheld, allegedly, but I don't know. It's it's wonky. But if they want to compete, they said that this is going to be a long-lasting system. They've now said that they expect this to go more than five years. If they're going to do that, they have to do an, a, a better version of it, which wouldn't be hard. They just use the Tegra X2 chip, it's, you know, put it in there, increase the, you know, uh, uh, heat displays, whatever they call that stuff, and then they can do it. I'm sure they can make yeah. it happen. So yes. So would you we'll consider it a competitor to the in the big three? I think I would I think it, because of the portability aspect. That's what... Well, does does that separate it enough, though, that it's no longer a competitor? Like, an iPad's not a competitor to a PS4. No, but I think we are starting to see multi-platform versions. And yes, they are visually, and sometimes they have a couple mechanics, like the snap map feature of Doom. They're mm-hmm. kind of scaled back versions of it. Yeah. But in a less... Uh, like less visual or less gameplay side of thing, they do have another feature that the other ones don't, and that's the portability. And I think that's huge for a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. in big cities. You see people on the train, on the bus, on lunch breaks, things like that. Yeah, like, absolutely. They're they're using it on the go, and I think that's a feature that is important enough that well, this is now competitive because of that, and only because of that. With the limited information, know about you know the Japanese market. The reason the Switch has been so huge there is that it is portable. And the consoles have been kind of slipping a little bit in Japan right. because everything's become much more mobile there. So that might be a prompt for PlayStation to say, hey, we need to do something more portable now because that's kind of where things are going. In which case, yeah, the PlayStation could compete. But I don't see them as competing right now because they are two different things. Like, does the PC really compete with Xbox and PlayStation? I mean, they kind of do, but not really at the same time. Like, I know Fez D here has said that he was a console uh, player. Yeah, but now he's a PC player, and he's made that that switch. And we look at them distinctly as they're a console and there's PC. Yes, they're all competing in video games, but consoles are distinctly different than PCs. It's a different market altogether. There are tons more PCs out there than there are consoles. Yep. Here's the question. Here's what I think answers that. It's for me at least. If the Nintendo Switch, you're wrong. If the Nintendo Switch was a new console, (laughs) that the big thing was just. You can play it in handheld mode, wirelessly yeah. similar like you did the Wii U gamepad. Or you could play it with the the grip controller. Or you could play it with the pro controller. And it's just about modular ways to play things. And it's something that had to stay at home and couldn't travel from your base station at home. I think it would tank. 
and I uh, absolutely we would have yeah. we would have the version of Doom and Skyrim coming out, and no one would give a shit. No one. Would I would still it. buy it because I'm a Nintendo fan. I want to play Zelda and Mario, but that's a limited audience. But yeah, you're not going to yeah. find people who are going crazy over Skyrim on an inferior system to play yet another thing on their TV because they already yeah. have a bunch of boxes that can do that. It is mm-hmm. literally portability. That is the only thing that makes this a viable candidate in this race. Yeah, and and it's, HD it's Rumble. What, and they shut up. But it's also one of those things like when people are like, oh my god, Bioshock on your phone. Everyone freaked out. That's amazing. And then they played the game and figured out it sucked. But everyone but it wouldn't was so excited because you could, exactly, you could play it on a Switch and have a good, competent version of it mm-hmm. on the go. That's what makes this, this console uh, a competitor because that's enough to sway, to sway people. Yeah, well, I mean, I've sacrifice. already. I've already said that if any game comes out on PS4, Xbox, and Switch, I will always buy it on Switch every time, regardless of you know lack in resolution or something like that. And I know in your, for you, you love trophies and that kind of stuff, but you've even said you would go for Dark Souls on Switch, I feel. I think yeah, I think, that, yeah, I think I would probably do Switch just for the go. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's a question. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. it's also it's not one of those things It's like, oh my god, I'm sure they've remade it from the ground up and all the textures are worth playing on a giant screen. So I, I would agree with you. It competes on the level of if you have those systems, if you have a Switch and another console, one of the big two. Yeah. Yeah, you are going to think about which game you would want to buy in either one of those. But I think if you're going into the store and you're saying, I want a video game console, you're not thinking about games yet. You're just like, I want to get a console. Does the Switch really compete with the PS4? If you're thinking, I just want to sit at home and play games, Switch probably isn't going to be something you're thinking about. Yeah. If you're thinking about portability, now you're thinking about Switch. Exactly. And you're now all of a sudden not thinking about PS4 and Xbox. So I think in that decision, they're not really competing. Yeah. But if you ha- if I think they are competing for the hardcore gamers who do have multiple consoles. That's the where they do compete. Right. But not in all aspects. It's there's still a distinction, I feel. But they absolutely compete in terms of games. Yep. Totally. Um in terms of, let's go more into the kind of future of Switch and all that kind of stuff. I think we've sufficiently answered those interrogatives. Let me Thanks, get back Spence. to my list here. Again, tweet us, Instagram us, Facebook us, at Respawn Aim Fire. Ooh. So let's talk a little bit this year. Because they haven't talked a lot about what's happening this year quite yet. We know there's going to be, I mean, Dark Souls. You know, there's going to be Donkey Kong, Tropical Freeze. Mm. You know about Mario, uh, Tennis. So we know a few things. Kirby. Oh, uh, I forgot this... about Mario Tennis. I can't freaking wait. <laughs> and then you have Kirby coming out this month as well, or next month, but this month kind of. Like two weeks. It's coming out very soon. Yeah. There's still so much we don't know, however, about this year. Yeah. It's still pretty much up in the air. Do you think that they're going to release or meet their 30 million sales for the year? And what do you kind of expect in terms of things we haven't heard about? I know I'm kind of throwing this at you, but. I, the 30 million, if they've mentioned that their strategy is also going to be not a switch per household, but a switch per person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, if they push that real hard and they give us excuses and reasons for everyone to have their own, one of them could be hamstringing us and not having proper user support or cloud saves or things like that, having multiple switches. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think they'll meet that and they're going to meet that because I think just like last year, they already have in the pipeline a major release planned for every single month, and they're gonna. I think yeah. they're gonna freaking kill it this fall. Oh yeah, I'm very excited to see what their fall has to has to yep. hold. For and sure. they're gonna have enough stock this fall now so that people aren't mm-hmm. searching and searching. That it's just gonna be real easy. It's gonna be like butter. 
<laughs> I I agree that they're going to kill it this fall. I think that in terms of thirty million, it depends on what the fall looks like, and I think it also depends on how well Nintendo Labo does. I think that their thirty million prediction definitely ties into the Blue Ocean strategy, and having people who don't normally play games become attracted to this console. So if Nintendo Labo does that, and they said there's other Blue Ocean stuff they want to do, but if Nintendo Labo does that, I think that 30 million might become an easier target. But I think the two things they have to do to get to 30 million is at the very least Pokemon, which I I do think that's going to happen this year, and Smash would definitely not hurt in reaching 30 million. So I think those are the two kind of big things that they, they need to do. Um. I think there's a lot of pressure on this E3 this year and making sure they really nail E3 again because they nailed it last year. They stole the show last year, I think. They really have to nail it. I think we both agreed they won E3 last year. Yeah, we both agreed on that. Um, So, yeah, I think that it's just about them maintaining the pace they're already on right now. And I feel like they can do that. But this is Nintendo we're talking about, and they're known to kind of be off base with their audience sometimes. Yeah. So, we'll see how that plays out. But I think they can do it. And then kind of just wrap things off with this Switch discussion. Where do you think it's going to be in terms of overall sales? Do you have a prediction in terms of what range can be overall? You mean like lifetime sales? Lifetime sales. Is it going to beat PS2? I don't know about that. That's a long Uh, shot, but... If they finally kill the 3DS and they admit this is a mobile console and start treating it like that, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Especially... You think you could beat PS2? Well, it's if if you put like the DS library or the DS numbers up against PS2, they're very very close, right? I think PS2 yeah, is like DS 150 is, million and DS I is, think those are the top two spots. Yeah. So, uh yeah, and there are people like Tim Getty's on kind of funny is is hell bent on them coming out with a smaller version with built-in Joy-Cons that aren't removable so you could have Not a bigger happen. screen. I don't think it's going to happen. That's like a dedicated handheld version. And I mean like if they do something like that and admit it's a handheld then yeah, they'll sell a shit ton of they'll them. They'll sell a lot of them. I just don't want them to that, do but... that. I think it would hurt the Switch brand. That's just me. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah, you, I, you I, are. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm wrong. About mo- with... many things. Who knows if that's one of them. I, with everything I say actually. I don't know why you have me in this podcast. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about ever. I so don't. I always cut your audio. <laughs> you just listen when I say that you say it back, so it's like I just do. you. It's just a I long say it monologue. In this voice, but I say the correct thing instead. <laughs> so, I looked at the the launch year between Switch and 3DS, and they're actually extremely similar, despite the 3DS hitting some um, some stumbles in the very beginning. They're very very similar in terms of how many units. I think Switch was you know 15 million, and 3DS was like 13 million or something like that. Yeah. So they're already kind of starting off very similarly, but 3DS didn't really have the Blue Ocean strategy in the way that they're trying to with the with the Switch. So I do think that Switch will at least sell better than the 3DS, for sure. I do think oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I think the conservative estimate I would come up with is about between 80 and 100 million is the co- most conservative estimate I can come up with. Yeah, that's a lifetime of it. Yeah, lifetime of the console. I don't. I do think, however, that it reaching DS and PS2 levels is possible if they can continue all this hype and all this excitement over the console. Not many yeah. consoles, however, keep that hype going for that long. So we'll just kind of have to see. PS2 also had the benefit of being a DVD player, and people used it a lot. Right. You know, for that DS, 
got there because it had the blue ocean strategy like you know do you want to play brain age do you want to play some things that aren't really games but you know touchscreen gaming wasn't a thing um until ds i mean people forget that ds started touchscreen gaming it wasn't iPhones and, and Android phones that did that. It was the Nintendo DS that did that. And obviously, I think mobile games are better overall than, you know, in terms of the Blue Ocean than the DS was. But if it can kind of keep that same rhythm going, possibly. But it's definitely going to sell between... It's something to sell around 100 million units is my, my prediction. That's like the minimum it's going to hit that. Yep. It's got a good life ahead of it. Yep. I think that concludes our Switch discussion. I don't have anything else to really add, if you can think of anything at all. Happy birthday, Switch. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Switch. us. <laughs> Happy birthday, Happy us. Happy birthday, Jesus and the world. <laughs> Thank you to Fez IRL on Twitter for, again, this week's interrogatives. Next week, what are we talking about, Holden? What's our main quest next week? Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about future hurdles for the gaming industry. So Ooh. we'll be kind of focusing on is like physical media vr kind of things now like that the olympics just wrote, uh, wrapped up <laughs> what? get it hurdles, hurdles oh olympics, gotcha running, like what jumping did i miss something really important in the olympics oh, where they yeah. don't release some dvd or something like that anymore all right everyone make sure you're playing far cry 4 for barf for march barf. <laughs> <laughs> that still tickles me that we call it barf backlog accomplishments for with respawning friends um and then if you can tweet at us individually and encourage us to finish it early in the month Instead of waiting until the very end. <laughs> I am at Holden Depardo, if you want I'm to tweet at me. I'm at Innis Chad Mike. And that's it for our very first episode of Respawn Aim Fire. A and goodbye. our 50th episode. Yes, of our and podcast. 50th episode. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Have a good night. A goodbye.